From Brown Cow Studios in Montana, this is News Nerds. The Taliban have seized control of Afghanistan. On this week's episode, special coverage of the transfer of power. We begin the show with an interview with Mike Jason. He's a retired Army colonel who served for 24 years on active duty. He led combat units around the world, including in Iraq, Kosovo, and Afghanistan. He talks to me about what went wrong in Afghanistan, if he saw this coming, what needs to happen next, and even more. Then, we transition to Kabul, where I talk to a journalist. He has requested that we not identify him for his protection, but we are calling him Ashraf. He tells me what Kabul looks like right now, how women are being treated by the Taliban, if he feels betrayed by the U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan, and even more. Now, in a critical situation, they are leaving everything behind. In 20 years, we had gained a lot of things, but now it seems everything is gone. But still, we are sparkling in, in the hopes that if the thing's getting back to normal. That was him on the subject of the U.S. withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. We have lots to cover on News Nerds this week. Stay with us. I'm Ezra Graham, your host. Last Sunday, the Taliban seized control of Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. Since 9-11, almost 20 years ago, U.S. troops have been fighting in Afghanistan. To get that perspective, I talked to retired U.S. Army Colonel Mike Jason. He served for 24 years on active duty. He led combat units around the world, including in Iraq, Kosovo, and Afghanistan. Mike Jason is a retired Army Colonel who served for 24 years on active duty. He led combat units around the world, including in Iraq, Kosovo, and Afghanistan. Thank you for being with us this morning. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So did you see the transfer of power in Afghanistan uh, coming? That's a great question. And transfer of power is, uh, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Yes. Uh, I think those of us that were on the ground for a long period of time and served in the region and kind of saw how we've sort of been doing this for 20 years knew that it was likely inevitable that something like this were to happen. I think all of us would be lying if we didn't say we were shocked at the tremendous speed in which it occurred because it wasn't really a fight. It was more like a complete collapse from within, indicating the Taliban have been working deals and you know, sort of politically hedging this uh, and shaping this for a really long time. It, there wasn't much of a fight, let's, let's put it that way. And then, of course, the, the eye of all of this, the centerpiece of all this is the kind of the debacle right now at the airport and, and getting our people out and getting our partners out. I think everybody on the ground there thought there was going to be more time at the 11th hour. Uh, I'm always reminded of the boiling frog uh, analogy, you know, uh, if you throw a, a frog into a boiling pot of water, it immediately jumps out. Uh, but oftentimes, if you just turn up the heat slowly, 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 it, it, it never makes it. And you, you don't really realize when you've hit that tipping point until you're in it. So what do you think went wrong? <laughs> well, where do you want to begin? I, I remember one of, my, one of my first sergeants that I worked with in the Army, you know, he liked to say, whenever you point the finger, three of them are pointing right back at you. And I think there's going to be finger pointing for a long time. Heck, we're still talking about things like Vietnam and some other you know, places where 
we like to compare disaster to and loss. I think the first step is realizing that we're all, this is all part of our national fabric now. It's not any party, both parties were in. We elected four presidents in a row that said they wanted to leave the country. We've had 10 to 12, depending on how you count them, you know, uh, congressional races at the national level. So this has been this has been kind of an ongoing national exercise. I did a recent analysis about how many times Afghanistan came up in presidential debates. And it's pretty significant under McCain-Romney, so like a long time ago, and then it just starts to plummet to the point where it's not even mentioned in 16 and it's a passing comment in 20. So it's not like we all have been kind of paying attention. Now, okay, so then what? And then you look at the, the actual military aspect, and that's where I, I think I speak for myself when I look at my little corner of the war, and I wrote a piece for the Atlantic last week, and I, I, I really analyzed my role in it as, as we looked at training you know, adv and advising the military forces in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And you know, what, what, what in my assessment, from my experience, what we were guilty of is really sort of 20 years, we didn't fight a 20-year war, we, we fought 20 incoherent one-year wars, you know, kind of a, a year at a time without really a sense of direction. And if you remember, Afghanistan begins in a one, rightful vengeance and rage over 9-11, you know, before you were born, just hard to think of that that happened long before you were even born. Uh, I was a young officer when it started. And of course, we got to do something about Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And then we kind of bumble along. We go in with very light forces. The country falls apart quickly. The Taliban were ruling a country of rubble. Uh, and then within a year and a half, we sort of take our eye off the ball and go into Iraq and I go over there and we start chasing that ball around and it sort of goes back and forth. And, and what you have is just sort of, and you know, well, we have to build an army. Well, who, who's going to do that? And how should we do that? And so my army, our U S army kind of gets the rose pinned on them, but we've, we we do not do that normally, right? We fight and that's what our job is. So we're now standing up institutions. And then, of course, there's no police force in Afghanistan. So, oh, we got to do police forces. Well, who's going to do that mission? America doesn't have a national police force, right? Like we don't, we have local cops. We have state police. We have the FBI. But a national police force that we were building over there is very similar to what maybe they have in Europe. We don't have that. But who's going to get that mission? Well, we'll just give it to the U.S. Army. You guys can do anything. And we were just sort of bumbling along. And all of a sudden, now we're doing police forces and rotating advisors in for six months to a year and changing names and acronyms and different groups and different ways of doing it while fighting a Taliban insurgency, while Pakistan is giving them, you know, tacitly shelter over there. Uh, and then we have our own elections and you got a president says, we're going to do a timeline. Another one says, we're going to get out right away. And, and, and my colleagues were all like, yeah, we're, we're bumbling along. We're doing a good job. And these guys are doing good. And then we really stopped doing that at 15 or 16 and kind of pull back having built a bit of a, military it looks a lot like us because that's what we know how to we know that but was it likely to succeed or or be uh self-sustaining you know the the military we built in afghanistan required something like it, we paid for it something like five billion dollars a year to support right like that's more than the entire afghanistan gdp that they could never keep that so lots of things i don't know it's a broad answer really it comes down to a lack of direction and strategy and policy at the national level from the get-go. And that translated for guys like me on the ground to just sort of bumble along and do what we could with a clock ticking. Right now, some political leaders are saying that uh, our job in Afghanistan 
is over. The original, the original mission was to uh, make sure that something like 9-11 would never happen again. Do you think our mission in Afghanistan is in fact over? I mean, which one, right? Is it vengeance for 9-11? Is it go get bin Laden? Is it make sure Al-Qaeda does not have uh, uh, you know, a safe environment to which to operate in? Is it to bring Afghanistan to the 21st century and make them a modern democracy that fights on, on our side, whatever? You know, which mission are we talking about? Yes, we killed bin Laden. So in, in essence, that sort of answers the 9-11 question in part. But if we look at spaces where international terrorists can, can operate from, what are we doing about al-Shabaab in, 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 on the Horn of Africa? Or, you know, ISIS is, was operating in Syria. We got that caliphate taken care of, but they're operating in Africa again today. You've got, uh, you know, al-Qaeda offshoots in the Philippines. They don't need Afghanistan to attack the homeland. So I, I do agree in part that if, if it's about attacks on the homeland, that particular problem was dealt with. Uh, now, if you want to talk about did we help Afghan women and girls and, and equal rights and all that, well, then we've completely abandoned that mission for, for a time that was part of our mission. Uh, you know, they're returning to, to their oppression that they had before. Uh, will it look the same? We're not sure yet. Uh, Taliban's making a lot of promise, but can you trust these guys? So, you know, could an al-Qaeda go back to Afghanistan and come back to, to life? I would ask you why they have other places they can operate in. Uh, there's no need to, you know, the argument that we have to stay in Afghanistan to prevent another attack in the homeland, I think is a little specious when there are so many other ungoverned places where transnational terrorists can operate from. This is just one of them. And it's not any more dangerous than another one. What are your thoughts on uh, withdrawing troops from Afghanistan? Biden's take was to withdraw them all and uh, he he's done that now he's sending six thousand as of now back to Afghanistan and Trump was a little he he had a timeline that he was going to set out what what are your thoughts on those decisions what decisions would you make if you were given the chance to so so mixed feelings right like first off there's the whole there's the there's an argument to be made that the twenty five hundred it was twenty five hundred that were in country could have held off this debacle for a bit longer. And, and they were important. If they had stayed, this, this wouldn't have happened so quickly. Maybe there were 2,500. It could have also, as you saw the entire country collapse in a week because it, it wasn't really without fighting. The Taliban had already made all those deals with all the warlords, all the, you know, that was already happening. Those units practically surrendered. That could have happened at any time with those 2,500 scattered all over the country doing their missions. And we could have potentially been in a situation where we had 2,500 hostages. Or maybe symbolically, they would have held the Taliban back indefinitely. I don't know. That's to be debated. Now, uh, so we pulled them out. That decision was reached in Doha with Trump's Secretary of State Pompeo and the Taliban negotiating that. And the deadline was 1 May. And because of that, the Taliban basically agreed not to attack any of our people, which they could have completely overwhelmed. So that deal was made. And I don't know about that timeline, but it was almost immediately. And then kind of the Pentagon rejected it, pushed back. And then they, 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 it was kind of delayed. Uh, and so then they, we moved it. The Biden people come in and we move it up to like around September 11th to make it a little bit more orderly. Uh, but then they basically, look, 2,500 people is like 
three flights. We can get those guys out overnight. There's really no, no timeline where that, that makes any more or less sense. It's, it's, it's a pittance when it comes to people for us. The 6,000 going in, I mean, that's the irony, right? 2,500 out to bring 6,000. But those 6,000 aren't going in to fight. They're not going in to pick up the mission to advise the Afghans. They're going in strictly to secure the Kabul airport to get all of our people out, our interpreters, our friends, our allies, and, and their families that, that, that are coming. So they have a very specific, it's called a almost, it's like a non-combatant evacuation operation or NEO. So they have a very specific mission. They're going in there to secure the withdrawal, and then they're going to come out themselves. So I, I'm just trying to make sure we don't mix apples and oranges. It's not like 2,500 could have stayed, and then we wouldn't have to bring 6,000. They're completely separate missions. At the same time, I think the bigger question is, and that's still debated, was the 2,500 withdrawal clearly at least the moral trigger for the Taliban to say, okay, we're done here. We're, 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 we're going to sweep all this thing up. The question is, was our country willing to keep 2,500 or so troops in Afghanistan for another 10, 20 years? Uh, the latest poll, 70% of Americans said no. So both presidents read the tea leaves uh, that for better or for worse, the American people wanted this to end. And they felt they had the political cover to do it. And so they executed it. And it was never going to end well. At some point, the frog in the boiling pot of water was going to die. Are you in touch with anybody in Afghanistan right now? Yes. I am uh, actually, that's why we started late a little bit today. I'm literally texting uh, on uh, secure comms with uh, one of my friends who's an Afghan senior officer. Uh, he's got his wife and several children. Uh, they're in hiding. He served all the way to the end. You know, he's a decorated special forces guy. We trained him. We gave him medals and decorations. He's been to international schools. He speaks four languages. He's a phenomenal guy. Uh, and he's, he's in a safe house right now. He worked all the way to the end at the, at the Afghan senior leadership and didn't leave, didn't quit. Uh, and now he's trying to figure out how to get his family out because if they find him, they're they're gonna they're gonna they're probably gonna kill him. What needs to happen now in Afghanistan? So immediately right now is is we're in a kind of a crisis action team planning basically is we've got uh, American citizens, we've got soldiers uh, on the ground at the Kabul airport. Uh, and we have all of our partners, like my friend, our interpreters, uh, staffers from the embassy, whoever is in Kabul right now, we need to airlift them out. And it sounds like for whatever reason, whether it was negotiated uh, or the Taliban want kind of international attention, you know, they're, they're getting their moment. They're getting their victory parade, whatever they're getting. You know, we're doing kind of the walk of shame. Fine. But it's not a bloodbath. There's no fighting, really. And, and as long as we can keep this and they let us, and let us really, I'm, I think they're letting us because they've got the manpower, uh, we need to continue to get as many people out as possible. The tragedy is it happened so quickly is we have so many friends and allies in other cities across the country like Kandahar, Mazar-Sharif, and Herat. And I don't, I don't know how they get out, but there needs to be continuous pressure to honor that the Taliban honor what they said, which is amnesty to the people that worked with the gov with the government with us, uh, and they let people that want to leave get out. And then us, our country, who has for five to six years now vilified and refused refugees and special visas to open our doors, just like we did the Vietnamese and the Cubans, open our doors completely and bring them in 
and do everything we can to help them and sponsor them and, and relocate them. So, so kind of an immediate term and a long term. And then politically, look, with Afghanistan, the whatever they call themselves now, the Arab Islamic Emirates or whatever, they're in power now. And we're probably going to have to figure out how to deal with them and make sure that they do not, you know, harbor terrorists ever again, or they'll pay the price again. So the last time the Taliban came in power, they inherited, you know, a country in complete rubble, and they ruled like it was the 15th century. What they have now is a pretty much a fully operating country, albeit not, you know, it's not Turkey or United States, obviously, but they've got full cities with electricity, internet, and running water, and, and millions of citizens who've had a taste of freedom and modernity and cars and cell phones, and those people aren't going to go back to the 15th century. So the Taliban is really good at being an insurgent. Now they're going to have to govern, and I think they're going to be challenged. Uh, we're seeing Masood's son in the Panjshir Valley has said he's going to fight on. Uh, warlords Ada and Dostum, who I had to work with, they've left the country with combat power. So the Taliban, now, now they're welcome to the bigs. Now you got to govern. Uh, and they're going to want you know, aid because it's a poor country. So we've got some political leverage. And we got to figure out what the next, everybody has to figure out what the next phase is. But it won't look like the last 20 years. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And uh, again, I, I would encourage your listeners to, to follow what's going on, to stay involved, open their doors to the Afghan refugees. And, and at least in our messaging, we, we are all a part of this. This is our collective national moment. That was Mike Jason. He's a retired Army colonel who served for 24 years on active duty. He led combat units around the world, including in Afghanistan. He talked to me on Monday morning. Now we go to Kabul. I talked to a journalist who was inside the capital city. And for his security, we are not naming him, but we're calling him Ashraf. Joining us now is a journalist based in Kabul. We cannot disclose his name because of security reasons. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So what does it look like in Kabul right now? Currently, I'm inside Kabul city. My observation, the Taliban fighters, they are uh, imposed checkpoints in the different part of the city. And also they are guarding the government buildings. Today is the third day of the Taliban day over taken the Kabul and so the people slowly the life is uh, getting back to normal here and where today there are much more people uh, rather than uh, yesterday and the day before yesterday so uh, we have been also seeing the people they're just uh, uh, taking selfies and, and shooting the short videos from Taliban's and also, I mean, the Taliban, they are keep saying and asking from people to not to worry. They are responsible for their security. They're going to impose the rules and regulation for, for the prosperity of the society. But still, it is worth mentioning to say that the people are worried. The fear and concern is there. It would be very much early to... to 
totally judge uh, that how the Taliban's treat the, treat the people and how they're going to move forward. So do you trust the Taliban's word right now that they are going to remain peaceful? Uh, the words in action, I mean, just uh, last night we had the press conference of Taliban spokesperson and in detail explained how they're going to move forward and he assured, but still we are in the ground and the ground reality is we are seeing some difference between their words and uh, their action and uh, because they are keep saying that the Taliban will not search home by home and they will they don't have a right to uh, take the cars and other weapons and other stuffs from the people they're gonna establish a commission and they do it by a proper way but still we are seeing in some part of the city uh, their fighters they're just taking the cars which is apparently uh, they are saying that that's the order from their leadership to collect all the cars which belongs to the uh, military personnel and but in the in the words and they are saying that we're gonna do this through a proper way but yeah we are seeing some between their words and action are you on this have you been on the streets of Kabul outside of uh, your home or is that too dangerous uh, yes on the first day and the second day I traveled to the city different part of the city and actually because honestly speaking nowadays going through the different part of the city you can find very interesting scene because that is also exciting yeah i mean it is still uh, taking the photo and videos and the people they are doing but in case i mean personally if i'm if i talked about myself as a journalist i'm trying to some some in some cases to take the photo and video but i'm not trying to disclose myself that i am a journalist however they already uh, assured that uh, the media and the media outlets they can continue its work and they assure the journalists but still the fear is there the concern is there and because they have their weapons with them and they're to their teeth they are with what i mean weaponized and it would be very much it would not be an easy task to easily trust on them so how do you think that the afghan government fell so quickly on sunday yeah that is a very important question and i'm pretty sure that this question is in mind of everyone so how the government that more than 300,000 Afghan personnel and they are well equipped, have everything, how it diminished in, in, in 11 days the Taliban have been able to overrun almost 95% of the territory. That is the question with everyone and when, I, when I'm interacting with, interacting with the people and talking with them as a journalist, they're asking the same question from me. 
and still the, in the general perception they believe that something was behind the scene that they are not in the loop but yeah uh, honestly speaking i don't have a specific answer for this question that why afghan government the afghan security forces which were backed by international community and from the united states how it i mean gone in in less than few weeks and that is a annoying question Many photographs of the airport in Kabul are circulating right now on social media, and they depict scenes of people trying to cling to airplanes in a, a desperate hope to get out of Kabul. So do you know what the airport looks like right now? Has it calmed down at all? Yes. As far my information, U.S. forces, which are based in the Kabul airport, they ask assistance from special security forces which were in uh, Jalalabad city and they they're going to also relocate to US but still they are i mean they ask assistance from them and now these guys which are well equipped are helping the US and in, uh, in, in terms of uh, controlling the airport Uh, yesterday, I was on my way to the airport. I mean, I was passing by it, and I saw, I can say, thousands of people. I mean, trying to to get into the airport. And when I talk, I managed to talk with some of them, and they told me that there is no asking for visa and passport, and everyone can go and sit in the airport uh, airplane, and so. Uh, that 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 is the basic message that all the people they were all rushed to the airport that if there is no visa and passport thing stuff and they can enter so that is why all rushing but now today uh and yesterday the situation is a bit uh calm and quiet and it is slowly getting under control will you stay in kabul this is honestly speaking still it is a question with me if the situation is getting back to normal afghanistan it is our home country and honestly speaking i am very much enjoying my my work and staying in kabul but in case uh if the taliban slowly imposed their very strict restriction and we have been also hearing the rumors that they eventually and after a few days they're gonna start home by home search i mean if in case that is happening it it should be i mean to be on the safe side a lot of journalists when i'm interacting with them and talking with them friend of mine they are telling me and they also have such kind of plan to at the time moment they leave the couple and for a while they observe the situation from a while and if the situation get back to normal they can just come and uh, start their and resume their work how are women being treated in kabul as the taliban take over well i have not seen much women in the street the number of the women are less and we have been we have been also able to seeing them they are more covered and also 
the treating Taliban with the woman. I mean, yesterday, personally, I was just uh, going around to the city with with uh, uh, my family, but they are still in, in the check post and everywhere they, when they are stopping the cars. If the women are, are there, they're saying, okay, there is no need for asking. Still, it is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it would be very much early to, because today is the third day and uh, the women are less in the streets. And so it will obviously take some time that we can understand that how they're going to treat women. What are citizens in Kabul thinking right now? Are they panicked or are they thinking that the Taliban are going to stand by their word? I mean, that is a very important question. Yesterday in the press conference, the Taliban spokesperson have been asked by several journalists and he keeps saying that uh, that we would stand on our words, there would be no problem, and we're gonna solve solve everything. But still, as I, I mean, the 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 words in action. It obviously after few days, we we would have a clear picture that if they are saying something, and if they stand on their words, and but now, as I mentioned earlier, bit that we are seeing some of the incidents that is against what what they are promising to the people. And by passing some few days, we will easily judge and we will easily, I mean, that would be judgeable to compare their words and action. What do you think is going to happen in the next few days in Kabul? At the moment, there is, this is the fact that Taliban backed and take the power, took the power, and they are overrun almost the city, uh, 95% or more than that. And now, I mean, the people, the, the bigger question with the people is the concern that how they're going to move and move forward and how they govern governor and how they take the responsibilities that because uh, uh, governing and leading a country is also a very i mean it's not an easy task that is the question with the people and in a few days uh, we would have they are keep saying that we were trying to establish an inclusive government and all the people they would be there we will use from their capacities. Honestly speaking, now it's vacuum of the power. Uh, we have the security, but uh, yeah, running the country is also another thing that in few days we would have. People are expecting to have a clear answer for this as well. Do you feel in any way betrayed or let down by the United States government for withdrawing? troops from Afghanistan? No doubt. I mean, indeed, the U.S. and international community and U.S. leading from the front, in the general perception, they're saying that that is, I mean, coming up back of the Taliban, it is totally abandoned of the Afghan people. That is also raising the 
serious question about the promise of the U.S. and the international community that they, they would be with the Afghan trying to defend their basic rights and they were uh, trying to uh, the Afghans deserve to a prosperous future and like these kind of promises. But now in a critical situation, they are leaving everything behind. I mean, the Afghan ex from specifically from U.S., we not desire such kind of, but now it's happened. Seems I, I talked with some of my friends, they were disappointed and they were saying in 20 years we had gained a lot of things but now it seems everything is gone but still we are sparkling in in the hopes that if the things getting back to normal but regarding to the u.s leaving that is the right that they they eventually they they would leave afghanistan but how they leave afghanistan that is the question with everyone and that is i mean the, the afghan people will remember it for a long time. Thank you so much for talking to me today in the uh, the dangerous situation that you could be in. You're welcome. Please keep us in your prayers and thoughts. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. On this week's episode, I was your host. I'm Ezra Graham. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps our ratings. Another way to listen is by listening on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KGVM community radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KGVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream. Until next week, bye-bye.